You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson, and today... Once again, we're talking with Tony Peterson, and this is, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this, Uh, and I'm just going to, I'm going to say it with a question. Are you good enough to consistently kill big bucks? What is missing from the big buck equation, right? Is it the fact that big bucks don't live in your area? Um, are you not that good of a hunter? Sometimes that is uh, a, a hard pill to swallow, so to speak. Um, and so today I, we talk with Tony Peterson about how he feels and how I feel about, you know, people who are unsuccessful trying to kill big bucks, whether it's every year or their first big buck. And uh, we kind of we kind of get into the weeds here and I think this is a really good episode because I had to go, I definitely had to go through this, this, this phase where I thought I was doing everything right, right? Um, Tony talks about the academics, right? Deer hunting is more than just academics. So I knew that I needed to be downwind of a bedding area, let's say, or my access routes had to be perfect or this and that, right? knowing something and actually having the experience and knowing how to implement it are two completely different things. And that is what this, that is what this podcast is about. So we have fun, uh, like we always do. Uh, these are, these are meant to get us uncomfortable. These podcasts are meant to get us uncomfortable. And 
when you're uncomfortable or maybe even you're upset at yourself or even at me or Tony, it, what it, what it's designed to do is to trigger something within you to say, Hey, I need to try something different. If I haven't been successful doing it a certain way, I need to try something different. And that's the goal, right? It is to find what works for you, implement that, and then find the success that you want, right? Whether that's a big buck or a full freezer or, or your first buck or whatever it is. You know, I talk about that all the time. If this is your first nine finger chronicles episode that you've ever listened to, man, I, I, uh, take this episode with a grain of salt, right? This is not to go over your head. I, I hope that everybody keeps an open mind and open ears on this episode because, uh, Tony spits some knowledge and, uh, I think it's, it's, uh, knowledge that we all need to hear. So that's what today's episode is about. Uh, I'm going to run through the, the partners here real quick. If you're looking for a saddle, you need to go check out tethered, uh, tethered has a, a lineup of you know, different size saddles, they have climbing sticks, they have different sized platforms, they have all the, uh, the saddle hunting accessories. So if you're looking to take your next step in that mobile game, get away from tree stands, or maybe just add a saddle into your arsenal of how you approach deer, mobile deer hunting, definitely need to go check out Tethered. All right. Wasp Archery, in my opinion, one of the best built and I don't know, man, like I feel confident, right? Let, let's not kid ourselves. You put uh, any broadhead fixed blade or mechanical and they open up and they do exactly what they're supposed to do through the lungs of a whitetail. More than likely that animal is going to die, but not every deer comes in broadside. Not every deer is, you know, standing there waiting for you to double lung them. Why I like wasp is because I have the confidence in him and on the bad shots, right? Where the, where you don't have the double lung, you get the arrow in there. It does a lot of damage because that's what they're designed to do. And there's a big, heavy blood trails and man, that's what, that's what you want. You want the most destruction. And uh, that's why I love working with wasp and, and because the people who design them have the best material and they're passionate about what they do. So if you're looking for an awesome fixed blade or a mechanical, go check out wasparchery.com. Discount code for 20% off NFC20 and hunt stand. Okay, so what, what did I do this weekend? I just got access to a new farm. And so I have been in scout mode right now. Okay. Uh, I've been on hunt stand scrolling and scrolling and zooming in and zooming out and trying to pick apart this, uh, um, pick apart these, I don't know the, the, everything I see on satellite imagery on topo, leave a little mark. So then when I go out there and actually start to scout, I know where I want to look. I know I need to cover these bases and then anything else I find out there, I definitely, uh, leave, uh, you know, leave a pin drop there as well. So it's just journaling and documenting everything that I find. And what's that do? It just helps you in the long run. When it's time to hunt, you know where you need to go. So, and, and if you want to find out more information about HuntStand, go visit HuntStand.com. Tons of great functionality uh, on there. And uh, just go to their website and, and read up on all of that. And then lastly, Vortex Optics, man. Love the people that work there. Awesome optics, bar none. And then... 
whether you're looking for a spotting scope, a rifle scope, a red dot, binoculars, range finders, they have it all. And it's it's backed by their VIP warranty, which is you break it or damage it or it doesn't work or something's wrong with it. All you have to do is send it in. They will fix it and send it right back to you. So a uh, huge shout out to Vortex and all the people that work there, vortexoptics.com. There's the commercials. And uh, without further ado, let's get into another awesome BS session. Really what, what this is. And maybe it's a come to Jesus moment with Tony Peterson. Three, two, one. Tony Peterson, how the hell are you, man? I'm tired, buddy, but I'm I'm feeling all right. Tired? On a Monday yeah, morning? What, what possibly could you be tired about? Uh, I spent the last five days uh, getting my ass kicked on the Mississippi River down in, in your world a little bit, down by uh, Lansing. Yeah. And fished a couple tournaments and did not do very well. And I uh, got up real early and I spent long days on the water trying to find something. And it just did not go my way. Yeah. I'll tell you this. My, I've told this to the audience before. I've told this to you before, but when my father-in-law comes off the river and comes home back to his hometown for multiple weeks during the summer, that tells you right there, the fishing is shit. And he has complained about it all year long, how the fishing is just not good. And whether he's fishing for walleye or he's fishing for bass it's just, it's just been horrible fishing up yeah. there on those pools. What what about that was what was so tough about it? Uh, the so random huge rainstorms brought in a ton of muddy water. Mm-hmm. So the the river color the clarity is just terrible right now. Um, and then when you've got those you know they they pulled the plug on a couple of the pools we were fishing so the water's coming out dropping hard. Yep. You've got just an amazing amount of, you know, recreational boaters and yep. tournament fishermen and uh, barge traffic where you've got all of this eelgrass that's cut up and, and drifting down river. And so, you know, you have bad water color, you have falling water conditions, and then you just have a ton of stuff floating down river. So if you took, you know, like normally this time of year, you'd be throwing top waters and just, uh, you know, really setting up on schooling fish yep. or, or frog frogfish if you're fishing largemouth but man you can't throw uh, anything with treble hooks on top and you try to throw right now it's like you know nine out of ten casts it gets hung up on grass and it's just it was just tough conditions you know yeah yeah i've been on the river uh those days where he's only taking us out to be nice to us if he if we weren't there he wouldn't have taken out and you're right it's like every other cast you're having to take the weeds off your off your hook and and then you got some Baja going by at 50 miles an hour. And, and my father-in-law, he calls them sun worshipers. Uh, he hates those types of boats. He's like, they serve no purpose on this river. <laughs> you know, like he, he does not want to share public lands with recreational boaters. I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, it, this is a weird, maybe a weird segue, but man, there's really, when you fish the river, the Mississippi river, and I'm yeah. sure this is in a lot of places, but it really feels like uh, a sort of a classist system. I mean, like you see a lot of little 14 and 16 foot tiller steered fishing boats. Yep. Then the freaking $150,000 wake boats, or even some of the, the bigger house boats. Mm-hmm. It, it's wild 
it's wild the amount of recreational boat traffic now and just yeah. the money that's in it is oh it's yeah crazy. yeah it's nuts the the other thing that i've noticed is those small fishing towns up there they're starting to turn from you know the fishing towns to this condos are popping up old buildings yeah. are getting remodeled into uh you know housing for the the summer the summer traffic and yeah, yeah. it's bring, it's bringing a it's bringing a nice uh a nice income into these towns keeping them alive at, at, you know at some point but at the end of the day like the people who live there and the people who have been like my father-in-law who's been going up there for 45 years now fishing hates every second of it because those people come in and, and they want to change the town. Like they want in, in Harper's Ferry, the rumor has it that they want to get all the trailers out of the town. Right. And that whole community is of trailers that have been fi little fishing shacks for, you know, 40, 50 years. And now they're, they're trying to, you know, rumor has it, get rid of all that and bring in houses and bring in that, uh, the money, so to speak, if that makes sense. Yep. So, yeah, those, those towns, I was in Harper's Ferry this weekend, like those, those little towns along the river, you know, you're in a rough spot there because there's nowhere to expand. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're on the bluffs and so, you know, you're, you're, you're pinched into this tiny spot along the river where there's some, some kind of flat land to work with. Yep. It's not like they can just expand out and out and out and build new places. It's like you're you're right on top of the river, and so that old infrastructure. I mean, the big money comes in and it wants it gone. Yeah, and that's fact. It's a weird, it's a weird deal, and it's it sucks. I mean, I'm I guess I'm getting old too because I love those little river towns. Oh, I do too. You know? I love that area and Harper's Ferry and Lansing, and you know, get across the river on the Wisconsin side. Like, there's, it's just cool. Yeah. But yeah, you know, like. That money, it, 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 dude. It's like, uh, you, you know, if you go out and start a YouTube channel and you're going to be true to your true to your heart and only hunt public land and not take money from any big corporate sponsors, like, eventually when that big money comes in, you change your tune. You exactly. Know? Like, <laughs> it's really easy, really easy to sit back and be like, "Don't develop that little river town. I like it. It's got yeah. nostalgia and it's cool and it's retro." But like, you know. Yeah. I have no financial interest in it one way or the other. It's easy to sit back and be like, don't do that. When right. It, you know, right. I don't actually, it's kind of like the, you know, the crowd that says like, oh, you know, we shouldn't be hunting lions in Africa. It's like, yeah. all right, well, get out your checkbook and stop it then. Yeah. Like, no, I'm going to do that. <laughs> it's an easy, you know, easy thing to say when you don't actually have to pony up or do anything. Right, right. Uh, friend of the Nine Finger Chronicles, Justin Czar, you know, you brought up like yep. uh, selling out. I love that guy to death. He's like, dude, I'm just yep. waiting for my opportunity to sell out. The first person who wants to write a fat check for me, I will take it, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and the only difference between him and everybody else is he's just readily admitting it. Exactly. He's admitting it while everybody else is like, I'd never do that. I would yep. never do that. So I got, I got, you went fishing uh this weekend uh so what what won the tournament man well what l really w won the tournament was wait we fished two tournaments by the way okay a, a frog only tournament on saturday and then a little team derby thing on sunday and what won saturday was local knowledge ah, i think yeah. four out of the five top finishers finishing teams were locals from lacrosse and they knew if they ran up a pool, they locked up a pool, 
they'd have clean water and good slop to fish and which is everything for frogs you yeah. know or frog fishing and those of us who stayed down there and didn't know any better scrambled through the muddy water and the you know the few spots that had some clean water where it was filtering through and you know it's then you're in like a merry-go-round with you know 50 other boats yeah and so there was some i mean the winners had a they had five fish for like 18 18 and a half pounds which is really really good down there this time of year you know and that'd be a different story uh but you know i mean that's that's one of those things that it kind of reminds me of uh you know like the non-resident resident fight and you know residents bitch time and i'm like man you guys have such an advantage living there right like the that local advantage is real we see that in tournament fishing so much and you see it in everything but we don't want to acknowledge it you know yep that's a fact I, I agree. I agree. I wish I was on the, the, uh, water for two straight days, uh, three days or whatever, throwing, uh, throwing frogs on top water. I, uh, we had our local Swisher fun days. Okay. So let me tell you uh-huh. what Swisher fun days are, is we have on Friday night, it's a tractor pull. And that's usually when the sugar intake starts for the kids uh, right around there. And it's just balls to the wall the rest of the weekend. We have a parade uh, on Saturday morning and then we go uptown. And what's really cool about this, this town we live in, it's like the hardcore drinking and the inflatable houses for the kids are right next to each other and so there's this overlap there's this little overlap where the hardcore drinkers who have kids are hardcore drinking and going walking down this uh inflatable alley i i call it and so so it's fun to see like parents who are half in the tank already and parenting at the same time and i will tell you from firsthand experience not this weekend but previous engagements it is hard to be a parent and be a serious drinker. Like, <laughs> like if like it, it's hard to do, and that's why I don't I don't do it anymore. If I have to parent, I just don't drink because I just I get annoyed at my kids more, and so I'm just like I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna wait till they go to bed or wait till we get home, and then it's uh, and then it's kind of over, right? Anyway, you know, that might be the smartest thing you've ever said on a podcast. I know. I know because it's it's so true. You can't do both. Right, right. I know a lot of people try, and I try. and uh, you know my favorite is waiting in line or when a parent orders uh, beers for a whole bunch of people and then they make their kids carry the two silo Coors lights. Uh, they order four, uh-huh. so mom's holding mom's holding two and little girls ho- holding two to take them to the dad or the uncle or the friend or whatever. So, you know. That's that's small town living right there. That is, I you know I think I might I might be way wrong here, but isn't that like a kind of a European thing to have like playgrounds at your bars and stuff and have it be more of a more of a family event yeah. than you know just go sit down belly up and get hammered and yeah. try to take home. Yeah, I don't know. I I've never been to Europe, but our our bar in town is very kid friendly. And what I mean by that is uh, on Thursday nights before we go to the American Legion for the library puts on these events every every week uh, in the summertime where they'll have a guy, a lady who breathes fire or a guy who comes in and freezes things with nitro, you know, uh, 
uh, liquid <laughs> nitrogen or a bubble guy or uh, um, one guy was like doing science experiments all put on by the library, which is awesome. But beforehand, all the parents go to the bar and order cheese balls and, you know, appetizers and, and have a couple of drinks. We partake in it. The kids, oh, they go back into the, the back area of the bar where the pool tables are at and just launch. I mean, they're not even, they don't even use the pool sticks, but they're just launching pool balls. Like fingers get smashed every single time. The, bar, yep. the, the bartender is always just one, one hair away from saying something. But never huh. does because we tip we tip pretty good, right? So, so just an obvious level like low level of annoyance, yeah, and yeah, aggression there, yeah, exactly. So you know that's the kind of that's the kind of bar. It's nice, it's clean. It's not like I've been to some crazy bars where it's like chew spit on the floor, like guys passed out at eight a.m. in the morning type of uh, type of bar. It's not that kind of bar. It's actually it's it's a classy small town bar. I'll be honest with you. Yep. So. So anyway, what I was getting at was, you know, so the whole weekend was a thing. We were doing something all weekend long. And then to the point where we went home, we had a little quiet, like I call it quiet time, which the kids weren't quiet. I needed an excuse to go down and just like relax for, uh, for a moment. And then, and then we went back to the bouncy houses and then that's when the nightmare began. And usually what that means is (laughs) like they're coming off their sugar and yep. they're kind of hungry, but they have stomach aches because that's all they've eaten all day long. And uh, they start getting cranky. And then my youngest turns into this zombie mode where he stubbed his toe and it was just, I don't know. If you've ever seen the this slow deterioration of a human over the period of two hours where they're crying but they don't want to stop and they're they're just basically zombies and so i was having to deal with two of that two of those my two boys and they didn't want to leave or they and they're well what are you saying buddy come on and then you get back home and you pretty much have to just throw them in a chokehold and put them to bed and then they finally pass out and you're you're just whooped by the end of the day because all you're doing is chasing kids yeah yeah, I, I dude, I know the feeling. I, it's not only from raising my little girls, but from hunting with Kenyon. And <laughs> I just had to spit coffee out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, you know how he is. If shit starts going south, he starts pouting and crying and pisses himself just a little bit and eats a lot of weird candy. <laughs> Uh, I wish he was here to defend himself. What what would he say to you, other than being old? What would he say oh, to you? Uh, he would. This Kenyon makes fun of me for being old and for not having as many social media followers as him. And I was like, bro, your your measure of a man is way different than mine. <laughs> yeah, and, you're old and your socials feed sucks. Got ya. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> Plus, it's not like he would be here and defend himself or anyway, because he's off. I'm sure he's off fly fishing right now. Yeah. Somewhere. Right. Right. Oh, that's funny. I, that's a that's a good burn. You know what? I feel like I should be Steve Harvey on on a burn off between you guys <laughs> on an episode where I just stand and I give a topic and then you guys each get to make fun of each other about that topic. And uh, and then I don't know. The public decides who wins. <laughs> oh man, 
I think I think he's too nice for that. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's a really nice guy. Yeah. All right, hard pivot here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to describe what we like when we have these brainstorm ideas about a topic for you know what we're gonna discuss. We can I I feel like we can't necessarily talk on the podcast like we talk when we're not recording, right? We could, I guess if we wanted to, but there's, there's some extra that goes in there that I don't feel like it's necessary to share. So the, the conversation kind of was brought up is like, do you think you're going to kill a big buck this year? And how did we, I, I'm going to pass it to you. How did we, how did this topic start and, and how did we decide how we were going to approach this? Well, it came up cause I was, I was, I reached out to you for some quotes for an article I was writing mm. for media about why people won't kill big bucks. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So why people won't kill big bucks and then all the reasons behind that. Yep. Um, number one, has that article launched yet? Um, I have no idea. Probably. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe it, right. if, if not, it will be out very soon. All right, cool. So maybe it'll launch somewhere around when this episode launches. All right, yep. so why people won't kill a big buck? And we had we had a, a lot of fun uh, getting quotes for that for that particular article. So let me let me ask you a question right off the bat. And if you start going down the the how do I put this? The print world, uh, <laughs> normal answer, you know, like, well, most of the people who aren't going to we- kill big weasel, bucks, per- weasel yeah. words, that's what you call them, weasel words. And you start going down the weasel word hole, I will push the bullshit button <laughs> and you will have to explain yourself in better detail. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. First off, what is what is a give us an example of what weasel words are? Uh, so, in in a in the Sigmund Freud laying on the couch explanation, I guess. Yeah. It would be going against what you actually think, like what your actual opinions or beliefs are, to try to sort of pacify a general audience. Okay. And, I mean, it's like probably not like that different than our normal pressure to be politically correct in so many different situations and censor our own speech. And it's, you know, honestly, it's sort of a self-preservation mode. So you don't get your ass handed to you, Mm -hmm. but it's also an acknowledgement of just like, man, people come at this from a lot of different ways and they have a lot of different backgrounds. And so you're like, I don't really want to, piss off tons of people or offend them yeah you know like unnecessarily but at the same time you end up kind of like being less true to yourself i guess like yeah. you know on your but and it you know i mean it really it boils down to your opinion and it's like okay well if i believe this it shouldn't have like a ton of bearing on somebody else yeah you know? but yeah. we do we naturally default to that protection mode i think yeah yeah that's safe to say um because i you know there's there's times I'm guilty of it, right? When I'm getting on the phone with someone who I guess is a known deer killer, right? They do things different than I do or, or 
whether they strictly hunt public or they hunt managed ground or whatever the scenario is, you get into the, oh yeah, access routes, food plots, uh, you know, uh, um, whatever the, the terminology is for the general answer, the general answer to a specific question, if that makes yep. sense. Yeah. So, yep. all right. Big bucks, right? Um, why do you think most people will not, and it's, it sucks to say, cause you can't see this, but every time I say big bucks on this podcast, I use air quotes. And so Tony, why do you think most people won't kill quote unquote big bucks this year? Uh, I honestly, because they're not good enough. Yeah. You know, now, and, and I, <laughs> so, so just right to the nuts automatically that. right to the nutsack just now and and so a lot of people are going whoa, whoa, huh, huh, wait, wait a second but if i i was told if my access route is good and, I, and i'm downwind of a bedding area and all this stuff i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna get a shot why not because this stuff this this stuff isn't purely academic yeah. so on the on the content side of things we create answers for people that are purely ap- academic right like yep. if i say you know you got to trim this access route in june so you have it and it's you know tack it tack it really well so you can get in there and only go in on this wind oh, okay that might be great if the scenario when you're going to hunt lines up perfectly if all the conditions and right. everything seasonal timing and the weather and whatever else but it almost never works that way like yeah. it uh, i mean this is this is one of the reasons why managing deer has become like sort of the default industry standard, because if you can, if you can ensure consistency, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Like if, if nothing's going to change as far as hunting pressure and the food sources and the sanctuaries and everything like that, then from year to year, you know, okay, you plug in some stuff like oh, the wind's out of here or it's Halloween and the wind's out of here. I know if I go in there, I've got these cell cam picks of this buck. He's probably coming in. Most people go out and their situation has changed a lot. You know, most people don't control the pressure on the places they hunt. Or a good percentage of people don't. Most people don't control what food sources are around them. You know, even even if they even if they plant a little food plot or something like that, if you're if you're in an area with some ag, you know, you're not controlling the neighbor's property. Like you're not controlling the commodity prices on grain or whatever. And all of a sudden this year there's corn everywhere when there should be beans or vice versa. Like there's so many things we don't control that lead to just inconsistency from year to year. Yeah, And that's a, that's a big thing. And so when you say, well, you know, go do this and you'll kill a big buck. You're leaving, you know, 93% of the important stuff out because you don't know it. Yeah. And so it's always sort of an incomplete picture. And I think when I say people aren't good enough, like I mean a lot of different ways, right? Like factoring in those conditions, like just having the experience of knowing when to draw on big ones or having the experience to say, I'm not going into my best spot because I want to, like because the conditions aren't right or, you know, take it right down the line. And there, there's a lot there. And honestly, I don't think a lot of people care about I think like in their head, they care about the big buck thing a lot, but I think over time throughout the season when it's like uh, another alarm or I could go do this or I could go do that, 
I don't, I don't think a lot of people aren't as committed as they need to be. And it, and I don't mean that as like a, I, I really don't mean that to be offensive. What I mean is like, if you're not kind of really obsessed with it, like if it isn't really, really your thing, you might never get to a place where it's going to be just every year I'm getting my shot at a big one yeah. or my, my five encounters I need where one of them breaks my way. Like it just might not be as important as you think. Yeah. That's the answer really. I mean, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but I think there's a level of dedication that people think they have and they, at at the end of the year, they find out that they don't have it. And so then they'll start making excuses, right? When they're not, they're honestly not being real with themselves. Like, did you really do everything you could have, you know, preseason during the season, postseason from the previous year to put yourself in the best position or get educated on the terrain that these animals live in? Probably not. Right. And so you're, what you're doing is you're taking, you're, you're sacrificing. uh, This is the way I kind of look at it is long-term knowledge versus short-term knowledge. And so for me, uh, just on one of the properties that I hunt, I've been hunting it for like 15 years now. I know how the deer move through that property. Uh, I know how they move during certain um, crop rotations. I know, you know, like I just know because I've hunted it for that long. I kind of know where I need to be in certain times of the year and I can micro adjust when necessary. But if you're new to a property and you don't know, you got to put in time somewhere, right? To get you got to put you got to put in the time somewhere, whether that's scouting, whether that's in the tree stand during the year. And if you're just not willing to do that, the chances of you even being successful on anything, in my opinion, goes down. Yep. Well, one way that I really look at this is I, I remember, gosh, this was probably like eight or nine years ago. I was hunting out in uh, Western North Dakota in the Badlands out there and I had a mule deer and an, I had a either deer tag, I should say, any deer tag. So I could hunt whitetails or mule deer. And I, I talked to this dude who was camped out there uh, in the same campground as me. And he was mule deer hunting, bow hunting mule deer. Yep. And he was going out and trying to get on a, uh, a you know, a point or something and use his spotting scope to bed one. And, you know, hunting pretty big deer. He was looking for, I don't remember, like 140 plus or something. But out there, pretty good one for public land. And I remember, you know, there'd be whole days where he wouldn't stalk. He wouldn't get in a single stalk. And it's because that strategy doesn't play well in breaky terrain. But in his, you know, in his mind and and the content he'd consumed, it's like you go out and you get glass, you know, you glass whatever you can until you bed one and then you make your, you plan your route and you go in. Well, if you're, if you draw like a high country Colorado mule deer tag and they're in the basins right up by the tree line or the, you know, the vegetation line, I guess, before it breaks to rock. Sure. Cause you can see, you know, hundreds of acres from one spot and it's yeah. all set up to glass. I mean, it just naturally is. But when you go to another area, that's not like that, you know, rolling Hills and you know, all these little coolies and stuff, where sure you might pick one up bedding down but the odds are pretty good that when you see one and he walks down in there you don't know where he is and then yeah that strategy's dead you know you you can still kill those deer but i always think that like 
you know, you, you get into that situation, you got to recognize that this is probably not the best way anymore. Like right. I, I know this is sort of the industry standard for finding a big early season mule deer and killing them. But when you get there, you go, uh, this, this isn't going to cut it anymore. Right. And I think in the whitetail world, we do that so often because we're fed so much information. There's so much content out there, but you know, even like take the hunting public guys, like they say, well, I'm going to go in or they're going to go into a certain property in some state and do it this way. Like you might be one County over and have an entirely different situation. Yeah. You know, like you just might. And so part of it is, yeah, you can, you can, you can glean some good information from a lot of people. And I, I really think you can, but I also think that you got to just learn to get out there and get into your own situation and go, what, what am I doing wrong? Or yeah. what's, what's new this year? Like who's hunting on the neighbor's property or what, why, why is this not going my way or how, what do I got to do to make it go my way? And that's like stuff that you just have to figure out in the moment or in a certain time frame, just like leading up to your hunt that you're just not going to get, you know, like you're not going to get that information anywhere else. Nobody can give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that you can throw something at a problem? Like if I'm a shitty hunter, and I, I can't find success. Is there something that I can throw at the problem that will make me a better hunter? I, no, no. I mean, I think, I think really what you got to look at, you know, if there's somebody out there and it's like, I just cannot get this engine turned over. I can't freaking get on one. I think what it boils down to is a lesson that, works in so many parts of life it's like you have to do things you don't want to do yeah you know like we we i mean maybe this is like the crux of the the problem with this stuff is we look at deer hunting like it's something we always want to do like we're super passionate about it and it's our hobby and we love it but mostly you know if we're being honest we we want to do the things we want to do with it we want to sit where we like that we can see and has nice access and we want to do the kind of the easy kind of hit the easy button and enjoy it that way. But that doesn't really play well with like, I'm going to kill big bucks on public land or whatever. Like what, if you if your goal is pretty high and you want to kill some mature deer, you know, hunting the way you want to for fun is like, it's like a really small part of it because there's so much work and there's so much that you should be doing that you don't really want to do. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, just as an example, you know, I've been talking about this forever, but you know, you take, take somebody who's, you know, they, they want to kill a big buck in whatever state. And there's, you know, you can go onto public land and in the rut when you should be able to kill one. Cause that's all we've ever heard, but you have, hundred million people out there to compete with, or you could hunt in the beginning of October on that same public land. And yeah, maybe it's 75 degrees and not that fun type of weather you want to hunt, but there's a badass place to sit on water or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's things you can do that you might not want to, they'll put you on big deer. And yeah. we, you know, we talk about it all the time but it's just like, you know, how it is like you go out, people aren't doing that stuff very often. Yeah. Like they're, they're still leaning toward the rut. They're still leaning toward those cold fronts in late October. And it, you know, like, man, there's a lot of situations where that's a great, that's going to be a good benefit to you, you know, but you have to recognize if it's really not, 
Yeah. Like you might be hunting a situation where that isn't that great. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going back to the comment of you're just not good enough. Okay. Uh, and, and I've, I've said in, in order to make me or, or the general person, a better hunter, they need to do, do some things. And, and some of these things that a person has to do to become a better hunter um, slash become more successful seem to be, I don't think those things are actually talked about. And I don't mean going and scouting. I mean, really take a look at the individual who you look up to and weigh your life against their life. Okay. And what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is time. How much time are individuals putting towards, uh, towards this? And I think what we're, what we ultimately do is we compare, we want the same outcome as these people, but we don't put in the time in certain places to become them or compare the right, like we can't just compare the outcome and we necessarily can't compare the time that an individual puts into to something because maybe this person doesn't have kids or this person isn't married or like for me, I have a wife and three kids. There's no way my wife would go out and let me do the, the, what, what, let's just say the hunting public guys are doing right. It's, it's impossible for, for me to now try to want to do that. Right. I would have to be making so much money that I could just throw a stack of cash at my wife and, and just be like, be happy now. And she'd be okay. You know, like here's 10 grand, be happy. And, And I'd be like, okay, let's go hunting for a month or whatever, you know? And, and so, and so like, I feel like that's a, that's an, a topic that nobody talks about is the the actual person who is finding the success. And yes, don't get me wrong. There are guys out there who can walk in, you know, they, they've put in the time throughout the years. They can walk into a scenario and say, Oh God, I I think the deer are going to be here and they find success. Right. Yep. But there's other people out there who I'm just going to be blunt about this. There's other people out there that we look up to. They're, they're single or they're divorced or they sacrifice time with their family. Uh, I mean, you talk, you talk to some of the biggest buck killers on the planet. So people that you really look up to, these guys were not going to their kids' football games in the fall. These people were not going to, to holidays with their families, right? These guys were doing one thing. And that was deer hunting. Yep. So the question is that a person has to ask themselves, are you willing to do that or sacrifice in some other aspect of your life to find that success? And once you do, is it actually worth it? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, there's a, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And I think, I think you got to look at it's, this is a weird thing because we, we tend to look at like only the negatives for ourselves. Like individually, we're like, oh, I don't have the land or I don't have the money or I don't have the time. Some what, what, insert whatever, whatever negative thing. Yeah. And then when we look at some of the some of the industry people or the people that people look up to, 
we tend to focus on only the positives for them. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, you know, they, they kill 180 inches every year and that's amazing. And it's like, well, okay. Like, but what I, I think a better thing, and I, I'm not saying like, look at the negatives with them, which you can, or you can just be more honest about their situation versus yours. But I think it'd be better off to look at the positives for your individual situation, you know? And, and so much of that just boils down to what you and I have talked about a million times, which is like, where are your standards at? Yeah. Like, what, what, what do you feel for you would be a good season? Like, yeah. what's a good outcome? What do, you, what do you really want out of it? And so often we just sort of break negative and look at it and, and kind of give up. And I'm like, man, you know, like, forget about everybody else here. You know, like, even even the people that, you know, you have the most integrity in the industry. Like, if it's their job to hunt, they have so many advantages even if they're hunting public land you know i mean you think about think about what it's like to go hunt whitetail somewhere where you can see them and not only is it you there but you've got five or six guys glassing for you yeah you know you know what i mean like the end result might be a great public land buck that's dead and that's awesome but the advantage there was just that part was an enormous advantage and then you're not paying for your gear and you don't have to go home because you can stay till you kill one and you, you go right down the line there. And, you know, maybe you've got some local Intel cause people like you and they reach out and tell you to look at this, this part of the river bottom or something. And you don't see all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, that's bad, but it's like that, that exists in every, every facet of this. And so it's always like, man, you kind of got to just take, take care of yourself and look at what do you, what do you have going on? Yeah. Like, are you, are you only focusing on oh, all the hunting pressure in the place that I hunt? Nobody could come and do, you know, kill a big one here. It's like, okay, well maybe a big one is a hundred inches then. Yeah. yeah maybe what, that- that's what we talked about, right? That that's what the first thing that I think I said in, in maybe the article that you were, that you wrote was, well, first I think a guy needs to define what is a big buck, right? Yeah. Cause a big buck in Alabama is going to be different than a big buck in Iowa. Right. And or yep. in, out in New York versus Kansas or whatever this, you know, whatever the comparison is or whatever state you're in. And I, the only way I think a guy really knows that is by getting out in it. Right. Yep. And, and doing it. And, and so I just get really I get frustrated the most when the term, you know, you know, find your, you know, find your biggest buck ever this year or go, you know, tips to kill your biggest buck ever this year. It's such a bullshit term that I, I don't, I don't even like saying it. And I, I, I do it. I do it on, on the content that I put out because I'll be completely honest with you, the algorithm or whatever lack of algorithm, or whenever anybody says big buck in a title of one of my podcasts, it gets straight up more downloads than anything (laughs) else. So it's hard to, it's, it's hard to play the game and then also be true to yourself. So in a way I've already sold out is what I'm getting at. But it, it, that's inevitable. I mean, yeah. it, you have to, nobody starts a platform like you did and focuses on killing does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not anybody who wants to make it longer than a couple months. But I, I think, a, I think a better question, cause you know, like when you talk about like the, you know, a big buck in Alabama versus a big buck in Iowa, there's going to be a difference. Right. But like, who cares? Like what, right. what, what does that matter? I think a better question is like, what is a big buck to you? And, and people need to be really honest about that. You know, like if you've got a wall full of Pope and young bucks, 
a big one might be like 150 inches. It, it, and I don't care where you live. Like you might that you might be in Iowa, you might be in Pennsylvania and have a badass farm. I don't know. But what is a big one to you? And yeah. that that's one of those things that I that's why I push the traveling hunt stuff so much cuz we get really kind of locked into our zone at home or wherever it is we hunt, you know, the bulk of our season or all of our season. And then you go somewhere new and you you kind of just like out of necessity have to recalibrate what's what's success like what what does this mean to me and you know it it changes how you look at that this stuff and you kind of realize like i should be you know if if you're inclined to it you should be trying to just ratchet up your own level of what it is like what what is that success you know and if you've if you've gone out and you've killed a bunch of two and a half year olds and you're like this is i kind of got that well then you know what's next you know but if you go out and you're like, well, it's, I got to compete with uh, the big names and I got to, I got to really, you know, put some seriously big bucks down. You probably not in a situation where that's going to work out very well for you. And it's not really that great of an idea probably. Yeah. And I've seen it happen uh, where some guy goes out, he gets lucky his first, his first, whatever attempt at get going after a big buck. And then they start talking about it. Right. And then what happens is the real life scenario comes in where they kind of realize that those types of deer just aren't around every corner and they get stuck because now two years go by and now things have changed. And and you, I don't know, like you just, things change and the big bucks didn't show up this year. They, they, maybe you got trail camera pictures of them, but you never connected with them. And so now here, and and so now here you are almost looking like a fool, uh, because you got lucky and don't get me wrong, dude, I'll take luck almost every single day that I can. But, uh, I don't know, man. I, I just, it's, it, I understand that probably a majority of the people who are listening to this episode right now um, understand everything that I'm that we're probably saying. But if you yep. don't, I don't think it's anything to get worked up about. I just think people need to take a step back, look at what their goals and expectations are, and and really honestly ask themselves, dude, am I capable of it? And do I have those caliber of deer around to even go after? Yep. Well, I mean, and I, uh, kind of along that, you know, like what I said right away, like they're not good enough. Like when you think about people and people don't want to hear that, but you know, like I just did an interview with Andy May for, for an upcoming wired to hunt podcast. And that guy is just better at this than almost everyone. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's something to, certain people they my buddy calls it critter sense yeah uh, i don't i don't know this is going to be a bad connection just because you're an iowa guy Do you, did you know of a guy named tommy scarless at all he no. was no he no. Was, okay um he was a uh really good walleye fisherman he died of cancer just a couple years ago but was like you know tournament fish walleye fished he, he could catch fish anywhere i mean he was just he was really good at it and he happened to be a really good bow hunter and really successful and I, my tournament partner was talking about him one day and he said he's just got critter sense yeah he can figure this stuff out anywhere he goes and man you know part of that there i think there's like something inherent there in some people and part of it is just 
more and more experience doing stuff outdoors that challenges you. And a lot of people just don't get it. Like they don't, and, and I mean, like they understand that, but they don't have the time or they don't have the, the means to make those experiences happen, or they just don't have the desire to be out there constantly. Yeah. And you're not going to get as good as Andy may if you're not really getting after it. And even then, you know, like I was thinking about this, I, I play guitar. I love playing guitar and I've played a long time and I can go on YouTube and I can see nine year olds who are better than me. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they just got something I don't. And that's just how it is. And we never ever talk about that in hunting. We always talk about it. Like everybody has the exact same skill level possibilities and the exact same opportunities to go out and get this done on public land or whatever. And it's like, man, that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say this. I, from someone who let's just, I'm not going to compare myself to Andy may because I honestly think he's on a different level. He, his life is set up different, but he is, you know, he is, uh, he's really good at what he does. Right. With that said, I didn't used to have critter sense, but I also had to recalculate my brain and my way of thinking and change, change my strategy up throughout the years. And, and that led me to changing, you know, I, I changed everything, but that also led me to getting what you call critter sense. So it's, yeah, experience, right? So I, I, I flipped the script on myself. I said, okay, I got to change some things. I was more observant in the woods, and that led to me now having more of a feel and a gut with the way deer move through terrain than just going down a checkbox and saying, okay, the access is here, the sign is here. Blah, blah, blah. I walk in the woods, I take a deep breath, almost like I wish I could compare myself to the movie Gladiator where he puts the dirt in his hands and he, you know, it's something like that. He's like, okay, today's a good day, but it's different, right? Once you, once you, once it clicks for you, it's different. And just, I don't feel a lot of people are, it hasn't clicked for him yet because they haven't put the time in yet. And so I'm sure I've, you know, I've never, I've, I know Andy, I haven't spent a lot of time talking to him. Um, or some of the other guys out there like uh, DeQuisto or um, Dan Infault, guys like that, who have spent countless hours in the woods chasing these animals. Uh, I've, I've never talked to them about whether or not, you know, it's always, it's always been that way. Have they always had the, the gut, the feel for it? Or is it something that they've had to acquire throughout all, all the years? And I think for everybody, it's different. Yeah. Yeah, and it, but it is it is purely tied to experience out there. Time. And, yep. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And you know what what's interesting about Andy is he doesn't have a lot of time. Right? People think he does, but he has two jobs and you know, he's got a daughter that he's, you know, she's involved in a lot of stuff, he coaches a lot of stuff, like he doesn't have a lot of time, but what he does is he he finds little windows to do this stuff. Like the, the hour before work, the, the lunch hours, you know, go check cameras thing. Like that dude just figures out how to take little snacks, like little bites of this stuff all the time. Yeah. And, you know, and it, I, I'm, I, I don't mean that like everybody can do that. I understand that they can't, but really it kind of does boil down to like, 
how much time have you spent out there? And it, and you know, I, I get like some people can't, but I always think about like, you know, that first sit of the season, it, it's exciting, but you go out and I, at least me, like I always go out and I'm like, I feel like I don't even know what I'm doing, you know, like, and a lot of times it happens, you know, the first hunt of the year is like an elk hunt or something. And I always have this moment of panic where yeah. I'm like hiking up the trail where I'm like, I don't have a freaking clue what I'm doing. Like you feel yeah. disconnected from the process and the experience. And you can, you can get that. Like I, I got hit with that when I went from not having kids to having kids. Yeah. And I went from almost unlimited time to a weekend warrior that five days in between the Monday through Friday where I wasn't hunting and I would come back to the woods. I felt like it, I was at such a disadvantage because I wasn't in the groove anymore. And you know, you know how it is like those first hunts, you're like, ah, I'll just figure shit out and it's good to get back into a tree, but you're not dialed like you are on like day six of your rutcation where you're like, my system is down. Yep. I'm, I'm tuned into the weather. I, I like, you just feel like sort of flow statey. And I think that a lot of people don't have the time to, to get there. And that really works against you when you're trying to like be in the moment and go, okay, like they're doing this now or the deer I can hunt. They they're on this pattern right now. Yeah. You're always kind of behind the eight ball on that. If you can't get out there enough and it's just like, that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, uh, I, I don't know the word for word quote, but Jim Shockey had this amazing quote uh, where he talked about some, something similar. And he's like, if you're only spending two or three days you know, at a hunt at a time, you really, you really don't, you're really not able to get into a groove with nature, a groove with, uh, and this is a guy who goes, you know, on these, you know, multiple week hunts, right. For looking for trophy animals only. Right. And so what the whole point of this quote that he, that he had at one point was like on day, you know, you don't even know what you're doing the first four days really and then you get into i think he called it like wolf where your mind changes and your body changes and you become uh you reach this equilibrium with the environment and you're in tune with it and then you become the wolf and once you become the wolf things just become easier and and i i, t I thought about that i'm like god he's right you know he's right how many times have you ever gone on a on a western hunt or an out-of-state hunt you're four you're four days deep and you, then you just get into a groove and you're like, oh shit, now it's time to go. And, yep. and I, dude, that happens in, that happened in Nebraska. That happened in, in South Dakota uh, multiple times for me where I was boom day, you know, day five, day six on deer. Now I just got to make that micro adjustment and get within shooting range. And I, I'm positive that if I had one more day to do it, I, I would have got it done. But, uh, you know, time's up at that point. So, uh, it just becomes, I don't know. I, I want to be the wolf is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And I, and I think kind of on that note too, I think it's, I think you view this stuff so differently when you have that time, you yeah. know, for me, like a, an out of state whitetail hunt, you know, if, if I'm going to public land somewhere, if I have like five or six full days to hunt, that's like my sweet spot. It's different. You know, at elk hunt, I'll take as much time as I can get. Cause I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but when it's whitetails, I'm like, I feel like, you know, you might strike quick because you got that e-scouting and whatever else going for you. But if you don't, it, it's like, okay, you need enough time to really figure this shit out and get into that groove. And 
it's hard, man. And I think a lot of people don't have that time. And so you get there and, you know, whether you're at home or you're on the road or whatever, it's like, I got a weekend. And it's, I think it's easy to sort of settle with your stand spots and stuff. Cause you're like, I don't, I don't have the time. Like, I think you, even if you don't acknowledge it, you kind of know this is yeah. sort of crap stuff, you know, like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to do some things to try to put the odds in your favor. But I think it's kind of easy to settle too. When you're like, Oh, I got a Saturday, you know, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then I got to go home and it's just not enough. And so when you kind of acknowledge, I go, uh, you know, I'm going to just go sit this spot cause it's easy. Or I always see deer when I sit this stand, so I'm going to go do it. But you know, that might not really jive with your goal of killing a big one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it really all depends on like, I, I know guys who have wanted to become, they, they want to be the slayer, right? They want to be that guy who goes out and kill giants or, you know, kill a, a good quality deer every year, whether it's out of state or even in their home state. But then they are like, it's almost like a come to Jesus moment where they're like, well, I don't, I, I'm, I, I can't be that guy. My other things in my life take priority. Uh, my time in, is in different areas. Like I'm right now, getting ready to start like uh, I'm sure there's guys out there who are listening where maybe your kids are in high school or they're out of high school and in college where activities are over now for you right so now you can jump back into to deer hunting or something like that but for me I'm just getting ready to start three kids full bore activities uh, you know like through the fall and things I'm still going to get to go on my hunts but I'm glad that I put in all this time in before now to get to where I'm at. And, and so the next 10, you know, the next 10 years, I'll be realistic. It's going to be 10 years where I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the mode, right? I'm going to be in activities mode. And so the scouting's probably not going to happen as much. I'm going to rely on a ton of trail cameras, out of state hunts, are they're going to happen, but they're not going to happen as much as I'd like them to. And so what we have here is, is me just going, you know what? I think my priorities, like my priorities is definitely my family. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put the time in here. And then hopefully if I'm still healthy enough in 10 years and my knees haven't exploded yet, then, uh, then I'll be able to go out and, and, and pick back, hopefully have the same drive and passion and pick right back where I left off. Yep. And, and honestly, you probably won't because you'll be a different person then. Yeah. But you're you'll, right. you'll, you're you'll, right. you'll restart someplace good. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, this, that's another really valid point when, you know, you talk about, you know, why don't people kill big bucks? And it's like, man, you, you might have started bow hunting and, you know, five years before you got into that phase of your, you know, family life where, you are just freaking running kids all over. And it's yeah. softball two nights a week and gymnastics and just right down the line. And then it's tournaments on the weekends. And it's like, you know, so all of a sudden you might have gone from, well, I have enough time to target a 130 plus deer every year to now you don't. And you were that person two years ago. And people have a really hard time with that sometimes, like being like, geez, now I'm should I, should I go back to killing freaking forkies? Cause I don't have any time. And I, I'm sure you probably know a few people who've done that. And I do. 
too and they they're pretty happy because yeah. they just go all right well now a, a, that picture of big buck looks different to me now because because of absolutely nothing that happened hunting wise right what happened to my life wise or a new job or yeah. whatever experience yeah we don't we just don't acknowledge that enough in the hunting industry i don't think no. and i think it's a lost opportunity yeah i agree I agree a hundred percent. Or if you get rich, if you have a lot of money and you want success, just throw a shit ton of money at it, at the problem. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that, the, that's, that's literally the, the answer to anything, right? <laughs> yeah. Reason number one, why you're not killing big bucks. You're not hustling enough to make those millions. Exactly. Bro. You, uh, you're not shooting big bucks because you can't afford an outfitter. So once you can afford an outfitter or can afford, you know, uh, 300 acre acres in Southern Iowa or in, you know, Kansas or wherever, you know, Pike County, Illinois and all that stuff. Then talk to me. Then, then you can talk, then you can start talking strategy with me. Yeah. They need to, they need to get on that. I know. Get on that bit. I need to get on that. Like, <laughs> have you ever thought about just hanging it in, like just hanging it in and being like, all right, screw it. I'm just going, I'm going strictly outfitter from here on out. No, no, you haven't. I haven't. <laughs> you haven't even thought about it just a little bit. I'm actually arcing the opposite way in my life. Okay, I, I had you know ten years of my life in the industry where I, I I was contractually obligated to do a couple of those a year. I got gotcha. you. And you know they're weird, right? Like yeah. they're they're fun, and it's it's really fun when somebody else is paying for it because who gives a shit then, right? right? Right. But I just never, you know, I draw my own lines in the sand. Like I don't. I've never mounted a guided animal. I've never, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mount gun kills. Like there, there, there's like a, to me, there's like things that matter more. Right. And those, you know, I did some really fun outfitted hunts, really cool. And they were, they serve an awesome purpose, but I don't have any desire for them at all yeah. now. Cause I know, you know, if I go out and kill a big deer doing that, it's not, it doesn't feel the same. No. Like I don't, and I don't care about having them, you know, I, I care more about the experience than anything. And I know that's just not going to probably cut it for me. And so it's like, this, it's not it, man. Yeah. It's funny how this, this Intel and how we collect it, it's not just the Intel, but it's how we collect it. Right. And how we get to the, a certain point of where to start hunting that weighs actually a lot on the experience. Right. So I was thinking about this the other, you know, like in Iowa, right. I had, I'm close. And you mentioned this earlier. I'm close. I can scout in Iowa. If I want to, you know, quite frankly, if I wanted to put more time into it, I probably could. Right. And, and locate, you know, knock on a ton more doors or I can um, maybe lease a property or I, I don't know, whatever the, whatever, whatever it takes uh, to be close. I could probably do more time at that. But from a from a, a mule deer, elk, antelope standpoint, I was thinking about uh, you know not necessarily going through an outfitter, but you like using a guide on certain hunts. And I was thinking, and this is what made me bring that up, is because it's the intel that somebody else is getting for you, right? And, and it's just like, hey, just over this ridge, there's a whole valley of antelope. Um, I'm going to show you where it's at, and you don't collect that yourself. 
But then it's the intel, right, is the only thing that's different. You still have to go make a stock on the animal. You still have to go, uh, you know, you may get busted. You may, you may, whatever the, the whole, the whole layout is for you. But it, it, at the end of the day, it's still a little different. Yep. And I, I, I am, I am having internal conversations about that right now because I have, I have a list of things that I want to accomplish. And one of those is shoot an antelope, shoot a, uh, shoot a, a mule deer and shoot a elk. And I have a lot of good points in some States. And I, I want to make sure that those experiences, when I cash those in are exciting and fun because I've invested a lot of time and money collecting those points throughout the year or throughout the years. And I can only do so much, I can only do so much digital scouting, right? You can't really find out where the animals are. So I'm using, having this debate, not necessarily an outfitter, but trying to locate a guide and, and say, saying to myself, okay, is this something that I can be happy with at the end of the day? And if, if I can accept it, if, if, if any of that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's a great way to justify hitting the easy button, Dan. Um, <laughs> you so. son of a bitch. Why couldn't you just have held that to yourself? <laughs> okay, now Tony Peterson shamed me on my own podcast. Definitely can't use a guide now. Just, I can't hit the easy button. <laughs> well, but again, though, so that's a real, that's a real debate people have. Mm-hmm. And some people have no problem with it. Some people, you know, it's not even a consideration to right. hire somebody to help them. It's, you know, there's a spectrum here. And for me, you know, you're looking at that differently than I would. Like, I, I just had this conversation with one of my buddies because I have I have like 14 out points in Wyoming now, yeah. which is, you know, kind of my, like the, the one really good outtake I'll probably draw in my life. That's going to be that one. And he's like, you got to go with this outfit or that outfit. I'm like, dude, I'm going to do this on my own. And he's like, that, this is going to be your chance to kill like a 350 plus or whatever. And I'm like, I don't. I don't care. I want to just, I want to go hunt screaming bulls and, you know, have callable bulls and just get into Jurassic park. And I don't, I don't care if he's 380 or 280 if I kill one, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people, it's the same thing when people draw Iowa and it's like, I got to find someplace great to hunt. And it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, but you can do this stuff on your own. Like yeah. you, when you talk about killing a mule deer on your own or an antelope on your own or something, I'm like, man, there's, you you can do that. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I, I honestly think, I know a lot of Western guys would crucify me for this, but I honestly think if you spend the bulk of your hunting time targeting whitetails and you get pretty good at it, there aren't a lot of Western critters that are going to hold you back. Yeah. Like it's a different thing. Believe me. Like elk hunting is a different thing, especially if you're on over counter, over the counter unit in public land. And a lot of the mule deer and antelope hunts are getting a little crowded, but I don't think they're any different or any more difficult than targeting a pretty good buck in a lot of places that people live. It's just a different process, but it's totally doable. Yeah. 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 Makes a lot of sense. And I think that once I get out there and, and start spending some more time out in these environments throughout the years, because because really, I, I mentioned this on a on a previous podcast. I'm in my 40s, and it wasn't until, man, I want to say 
2017 is when I started doing my serious Western hunts. Cause I went on an elk hunt in 14. I went on a antelope slash mule deer hunt slash whitetail hunt, uh, in 14 as well. Then 15, 16, and I think 17 were all nothing. And I didn't go anywhere. And then I started and I, so I'm compared to a lot of people who are doing this on a yearly basis. I'm in data collection mode. I'm in spot collection mode right now. And, and so once I start to get better and know where to spend time versus where to not spend time, I feel like my success is going to go up. And I really do feel like, man, in my gut, I'm, I I feel this year is going to be a good year for me. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, you're in a phase with that where, I mean, there's two things, right? Like you, you just can't rack up tons and tons of experience out West because it's just not yeah logistical. Like I feel the same way. I mean, when I die, I'll have spent, you know, not that many weeks elk hunting in my entire life. Right. Just because. And so, you know, when you look at that, I always think that we, we have this problem with traveling hunting where it's like the number one reason is almost always a big animal. Yeah. Like I'm going somewhere for a trophy animal. Like I want to kill a big mule deer. I want to kill a big elk. But really, if you want to have fun and learn how to do that stuff and kind of get a crash course education, go, you go hunt opportunity, right? You know, you go hunt some of these places where the top end mule deer might be 170 and a 130 is a really good buck. Yeah. Like, but, but there's a lot of deer and not quite the focus as far as, you know, killing trophies and drawing that once in a lifetime tag, like there's, there's a difference there. And it, I mean, it, probably the best example of that other than whitetails is antelope. Yeah. Like people don't give a shit about big antelope. Like really, like it's not the, the trophy thing doesn't live in the antelope world as much. And there are some great opportunity hunts out there that you can go learn a lot about those critters and have some fun stalking them or sitting on a water hole or however you want to hunt them. But we don't, we, we tend to just kind of default to trophy mode if we're going to, you know, devote the resources and the time to travel. Right. But to get better at it, you know, I mean, just think about the stalking situation. You want to go mule deer hunt and kill a mule deer by stalking it. And you're typically a whitetail guy who sits in a tree. You better go somewhere where you're going to get some stalks in because yeah. you're mostly going to fail every time. Right. You know, and if you yeah. don't have the time, you don't have the opportunities like, one stock every three days in a week long hunt doesn't freaking cut it. You're you're gonna fail, almost guaranteed. Yeah, yep. And I've definitely done that. So, what well, everybody has. Yeah. I mean, you you just that that's just what happens. I mean, you you think about that too with like, you know, you're gonna go on your first public land whitetail hunt. You're gonna bring your saddle. I mean, you're gonna uh, on ninety nine percent of your setups, you're gonna fail. Yeah. But it, as far as like killing a, a deer is concerned and it's like, okay, well, you got to go get those reps in because one of them is going to break your way if you keep doing it and you start learning some stuff, but it's just not easy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm excited though, this upcoming season, man. I, I, I'll tell you this. I don't have one shooter on camera yet in here in Iowa, but, I, and that's not where my head's at right now. My head's out West uh, in mule deer territory, you know, white you know if i see a good white tail I'll go after it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be picky but uh, my head's not even in iowa right now i'm just hoping that um i'm just really hoping that i can get the uh get 
get those stocks in out west and, and really yep. put the information that I've learned throughout all of the years into play and hopefully you know success finds me more or less yep. well I mean you're probably not it's probably easier for you to sort of put Iowa on the back burner yeah because you know you know a big gear is going to show up like in, in your situation you're going to have somebody to hunt who's going to get you pretty excited like they're they're coming yeah what's what's not a guarantee is going out west and getting enough stocks in to stick an arrow through a mule deer right that's like there's a lot a lot more question marks there than there is on your home ground iowa stuff right that's a fact that is a fact well we could sit here for another two hours and bullshit but i think uh we've done enough for today so mr peterson as always i really appreciate you taking time out of your day and and hopping on and uh chatting with us about how we're not probably going to shoot a big deer this year (laughs) and that it's okay and that it's okay there you go yeah that it's okay (laughs) see that was a weasel word toss in there yeah yeah yeah. right at the end that's that's my writer's heart uh yeah man i always appreciate it it's always fun to bs with you buddy Huge shout out to Tony. Huge shout out to Tethered Wasp, Hunt Stand and Vortex. If you guys haven't left a five-star review, please go do that. Would really appreciate it if you guys would go leave a review on uh, on the, the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Follow along on Instagram and Facebook. And other than that, make sure you guys are checking out all the content on the Sportsman's Empire podcast network. I uh, really appreciate that as well. Leave a review there too. And uh, last but not least, man, it's all about good vibes, positive energy, good vibes in, good vibes out, wear your safety harness, and we'll talk to you next time.